Hey there, Desi Crime fans. I'm your host Aryan, and I'm Ishwarya. And welcome back to another episode of the Desi Crime Podcast. This podcast is run by two twenty-year-olds and supported by an amazing team at Lost Debate. When you contribute to our Patreon or share us with your friends, you too become a part of our team. So if you have the means please contribute to our Patreon and if you don't please share our episodes and posts on your social media be a loyal desi crew member go to patreon.com/desicrime we would also like to thank our latest patrons Sara Aziz Venkata Malaneni Nupur Kapoor Alicia and Dhruv Ruparel thank you for showing your love your contributions really truly help sustain the show Imagine you're on a road trip with your family. Your father driving the car well below the speed limit because, you know, he's a stickler for the law. Your mom insisting you eat the food she brought from home instead of the oh-so-delicious McDonald's drive-through. Your younger sibling belligerently inquiring about the distance to the destination, and you tuned into your headset and staring into the horizon, enjoying the ever-changing landscape. But then the landscape changes one final time. The next thing you know, you're underwater. Your car swiveled past a turn and zoomed past a ramp into a lake. Your car is drowning. Along with it, so are you and your family drowning. This is what one Afghanistani family had to undergo in Canada back in 2009. On its surface what was a tragedy soon unfolded inklings of a sinister plot was this an accident or was this made to look like one this is the story of the shafia family murders So, here's a fun little game for all of you. If you have any Apple device in your household, go on Apple Music and look for the Desi Crime podcast and rate us 5 stars obviously, duh, and write a review for the show. The best written review will win a video call with us. All you have to do is write a creative, witty, smart review. Take a screenshot and email it to us on desicrime@lostdebate.com. We will choose a winner on a rolling basis so get those reviews in as fast as you can. This is a win-win situation for everyone. We get to meet all of you amazing people who tune in to listen to us and you get to help the podcast out. So go do it. Yeah, and I didn't take Ashura's permission before suggesting this idea so I'm glad yeah, not she has the first time response. I'm hearing of this. <laughs> Ashura, do you like road trips? Okay so I think anyone our age can agree that going on a road trip somewhere in Europe with your three best friends in a red convertible car sounds absolutely incredible all very <laughs> zindagi na milegi dobara but I personally like more relaxing and luxurious vacations this is something Aryan knows and hates about me so the idea of being <laughs> in a car for extended periods of time living in small hotels along the way it's just not super fun to me no 
Right, I'm the exact opposite. I love road trips, backpacking. In fact, in a couple of days, I'm leaving for Scotland to hitchhike across that beautiful country to the Highlands. But I get what you're saying because you're not alone in not being a fan of road trips, especially road trips with your family. That is exactly what 19-year-old Zainab Shafia thought when she left her home in Montreal, Canada with her family to head to Niagara Falls on a road trip. A beautiful waterfall, a true specimen of nature. I'm actually planning to head there this summer, not the Canadian side of Niagara Falls, but the American side of Niagara Falls. But apart from the sides of this majestic waterfall, there lies another key difference between my trip and the Shafia family's trip. It was, in fact, their final vacation together, ever. The trip wasn't fully edged out. They didn't exactly know where they were heading or which route they were taking. But Niagara Falls was on everyone's mind. Frankly, it was one of those off-the-cuff road trips. Two cars carried this family of 10, a silver Lexus SUV, the family's vehicle of choice, and a newly bought black Nissan Sentra were bestowed the responsibility of carrying the family across Canada. Zainab was accompanied by her six siblings, her mum and dad, and their family nanny. She had a 17-year-old sister, Seher, 13-year-old younger sister, Geeti Shafia, an 18-year-old younger brother named Hamid, and three other siblings. Their identities are concealed since they were minors at the time. For now, let's call them A, B, and C. But there was another reason why their identities are hidden. The Canadian police imposed a publishing ban on the kids' names being shared by the media. The reason for that is just one of the many twists this case will take. And we'll get to it. So fasten your seatbelts because this will be a bumpy ride. Just like it was for Zainab. That road trip was never destined to be smooth. Wait, so the Canadian police imposed a publishing ban on the names of the kids in just this case? It wasn't an overall ban on the names of any kids in any case? No, it was specific to this case and specific to those three siblings because everybody else's name is out in the open. And we'll get to it. Along Zainab and her six siblings were her mum and dad, 39-year-old Tuba Shafia and 55-year-old husband Mohammed Shafia. Finally, the 10th person of the Shafia household was 52-year-old Rona Amir Mohammed. She was their domestic help and the children's nanny, essentially. As the Shafia family began their fateful road trip, they stopped at a fruit store to stock up healthy snacks, as I can imagine. You know, personally, I hate when my mom used to do that. <laughs> she used to pack these aloo or like potato wraps made from puris, which are deep fried North Indian shenanigans, essentially. <laughs> and she used to force that down our throats while we clasped for Uncle Chips or Lay's. Either way, on the pit stop, the family caravan bumped into a man named Latif Hideri. Now, Latif Hideri was no stranger to the family. He was Tuba's uncle. More than just a blood relative of Tuba though, he was their soon-to-be in-law as well. That is because Latif's son was going to be engaged to Zainab. Yes, they're from the same family, but this is not uncommon in certain communities. Also, this marriage had everyone's blessings. It was, however, as you can imagine, an 
arranged marriage. The Shafias were an extremely traditional Islamic family. Muhammad Shafia, henceforth referred to as Shafia, was raised in Afghanistan and held on to his traditional upbringing. Although that is typical of Desi dads, he did push the limits of his orthodox outlook. Nevertheless, Tuba's uncle Latif was anxiously waiting to hear from Shafia to finalize the engagement plans for Zainab and his son. For one reason or another, the engagement stalled and was endlessly postponed. When he met them at the fruit store, he told them, quote, This girl is our trust with you. You have to bring her back safe and sound. Latif Hideri watched them drive away, never to see them again alive. Split between the Lexus and the Nissan, the Shafias left Montreal shortly after 3 p.m. on June 23, 2009. They headed straight to Grand Remou, a town in Quebecois region of Canada. Now, the Quebecois region of Canada is a French-speaking region and it has French-speaking <laughs> there names. We go again. And if you know anything about your beloved co-host Aran Misraiz, I will flaunt whatever little French I know every opportunity I get. <laughs> The only thing, Ashwara, is there's a little too much French here and I'm actually insecure that I'm mispronouncing it, so I'll try my best. But Grand Remou, also pronounced in English as Grand Remou, I'm guessing, is a town in the Quebecois region. And the Quebecois region in Canada is a French-speaking region of Canada. When they arrived, just before sunset, the sisters met a woman walking some puppies. Seher snapped a photo of Geeti holding one of the dogs, the fur pressed up to her face. Meanwhile, Shafia and his son Hamid took a walk. They shared a special bond with each other. Hamid idolized his father and emulated his values and behavior. After sleeping at a motel and stopping for a waterside barbecue of chicken kebabs, which my road trips never included, so good for the Shafia family, the family got back inside the cars on June 24th and headed south toward Ottawa. Plotted on a map, their trip to that point was basically a 450-kilometer zigzag, not the most efficient route. But then again, this was an off-the-cuff, unplanned trip. Or so they thought. Back in the car, the family kept driving all the way to Niagara Falls, reaching their motel in the early hours of the morning of June 25th, 2009. Now, remember, Seher was 17 and she was your typical teenager on a typical family vacation, on her phone. She snapped photos of her and Zainab standing in front of the bathroom mirror, photos of her and Rona dressed for dinner, photos of herself in a green and brown bikini. There was nothing out of the ordinary and they had one hell of a time at Niagara Falls and enjoyed the beauty that it has to offer. The Shafias checked out of the Days Inn Hotel where they lived while visiting Niagara Falls on June 29, 2009. It was 8pm by the time the car steered onto the highway. They were headed home. After having enjoyed a pleasant and refreshing vacation, it was time to return back to the mundane routines of daily life in Montreal. School, work and on and on and on. But they left late in the evening, and midway through their journey home, it was getting really dark, and the family grew extremely tired. Shafia was driving the Nissan with Zainab, Seher, Geeti and Rona in the car. The Lexus, on the other hand, was driven by Hamid, carrying Tuba and her children, A, B and C. 
Yeah, I just wanted to point out it's extremely unusual to leave at 8 p.m. in the night to go back home from a trip. If my father and his road trip planning skills are to be trusted, we leave at 5 a.m. sharp every time we're on a road trip. Maybe that's a bit extreme, but 8 p.m. is the other extreme of that. With my family, it is sort of similar. The plan is always to leave at 5 a.m. every single time, <laughs> and we end up leaving at 11 a.m. It is. It is literally true for every road trip I've been on. But you are right. You are so right in saying that. Why would somebody leave for home at late in the night with or late children and you... with women in the car on empty Canadian roads? This just sounds unsafe and like a bad idea. Right, but one could speculate there was work they had to get to, and it just made the most sense. You know, we don't make the most rational decisions. It could be waved off as that. But this detail will be very important to investigators. Niagara Falls to Montreal is a taxing seven-hour car ride wow. back home. Plus, you are returning from an exhausting vacation. Zainab, Seher, Geeti, and Rona were obviously all asleep in the Nissan. Shafia, the father and the patriarch of the family, decided everyone needed a break. So, according to the family, they stopped at the Kingston East Motel. Kingston lies smack dab in the middle of Niagara Falls in Montreal. So basically after completing half their journey back home, the family decided to take a rest break. Dead tired upon reaching the motel, spread across two rooms, they all fell asleep. Sometime in the night, Hamid remembered an unfulfilled urgent task that he had to get to immediately. It somehow or another required him to get his laptop which was at their residence in Montreal. That was going to be a 3-hour journey in pitch black darkness. Whatever it was, it was important enough to prod Hamid to take the Lexus and drive all the way to Montreal. Hamid did in fact return home. He wasn't lying about his intention to go back home. It wasn't a ruse to meet a girlfriend while his family wasn't there or something. Right before reaching home, the tired Hamid, who had driven for hours now without any sleep, crashed his car into a yellow pole in a parking lot. Oh my god! And when I say crashed, think of it more like a oh snap kind of crash, not a holy crap kind of crash. No one died or got hurt except the front end of the car, which was dented. Hamid immediately called the police that morning from Montreal to inform them of the accident. Now, it may seem unusual for South Asians that someone <laughs> is reporting their own mistake to the cops, but actually this helps in insurance claims, so it is a must do to self-report accidents. At 7:55 a.m. on June 20th, 2009, he reported a car fender bender in an empty parking lot near their house. He tells the responding cop that he accidentally smashed the left front end of the Lexus into a yellow utility pole. He made it back home, retrieved his laptop, left the Lexus and took another car, a green family Pontiac, and headed back to Kingston East Motel probably to get his family back with him. Wait, that makes absolutely no sense to me. If he was going back home and the family was headed home too, he could have just woken up some people at night and taken them with him so he didn't have to come all the way back to the hotel. and then take them again that's an extra unnecessary trip 
Perhaps just like the road trip, this was an off-the-cuff decision and he didn't want to wake them up. But your observation is pertinent and will be really important going forward. At 8:30 a.m., he phones the Kingston East Motel and speaks to his father. Up to this point, despite the hitches Ishwarya, all is good. Nothing is out of place, at least on its surface. Because then he dials Seher's cell. This time, no one answers. That is weird. Seher is always on her phone and she always answers it. But this time when Hamid called, it wasn't Seher's voice he heard, but someone else's instead. An automated text directing the caller to voicemail. He phoned again. Voicemail again. Some sense of worry seeped in and Hamid was behind the wheel of the family's green Pontiac minivan speeding back to Kingston. Why wasn't Seher responding to his call? Up to this point, what are your impressions of the family, Ashwarya? So, obviously, the description of the individual members is normal. They were clicking pictures, they all wanted to go see Niagara Falls. You know, they were kids with headphones on. You know, some of them had work. They seem like a perfectly normal family, but in the middle their behavior is erratic and irrational and mm-hmm. all of these behavior points just seem like glaring red flags the unplanned trip to begin with the leaving at 8 pm in the night the going back mm. without the people in the car and then having to come back to pick them up again it's all just erratic and unplanned and unsafe and it doesn't make a lot of sense right and remember they left Montreal on June 23rd and they reached Niagara Falls on June 25th what otherwise is a 7 hour journey ended up being more than 48 hours because they zigzagged across so but again it was off the cuff they were a road trip is a road trip but you're right there were so many of these moments interspersed that seem right. erratic but the family exactly. in general is pretty normal on the face of it it was June 30th 2009 the morning before Canada Day a national holiday detective constable jeff demster was supposed to work the afternoon shift that day from 2 pm till midnight but his cell phone rang a few hours early something was unfolding in his city you could almost sense it but you couldn't articulate it just yet a colleague in the major crimes unit briefs him about a stunning discovery by the kingston mills locks When I say locks here I don't mean a lock and key I'm talking about another kind of lock a lock is a device used for raising and lowering boats ships and other watercrafts between stretches of water of different levels on river and canal waterways sometimes these structures can make for scenic and even historic spots as was the case with the Kingston Mills locks while a lock is intended for boats and ships A very different kind of automotive found itself in this water body. A car submerged in the Kingston Mills locks. That car was a black Nissan Sentra. Detective Dempster is asked to come in as soon as possible. A worker at the Kingston Mills had dialed the police as soon as they noticed the Nissan in the water. When the call first came in on the morning of June 30th, 2009 about a car in the locks at Ontario's Kingston Mills, police thought they have a stolen car on their hands or maybe even a teenage prank. But as this investigation was unfolding, 
another investigation in Kingston was set in motion. A missing persons report. Around 12pm, just a few minutes after Detective Dempster arrived at the police headquarters, three people showed up at the front counter, desperate for answers, looking for their family. There to file a missing persons report were Mohammed Shafia, the girl's father, Tuba Mohammed Yaya, their mother, and Hamid Shafia, their 18-year-old brother. Four people from their family were missing. Zainab, Seher, Geeti, and Rona were nowhere to be seen. At the locks, investigators were already combing through the scene, alerted to the sunken sedan by a Parks Canada employee earlier that morning. It didn't take long for police at the station to make a startling discovery that tied these two seemingly separate investigations, one of a random car and another of missing people, together. Divers are dispatched on the spot. The police diver who swims to the bottom of the canal finds something he will never forget. There, in the front passenger seat, with her face slumped forward and her fingernails painted a light shade of blue, lay the breathless body of Zainab Shafia. She was 19 years old and had 10 cents in her pocket. Her black cardigan, drenched after hours underwater, was on backwards. Seher, her younger sister, was in the rear of the sunken Nissan Sentra, dressed in a pair of tight jeans and a sleeveless top. Her belly button was pierced with a stud with twin stones and her nails were polished in two different colours, purple on the fingers, black on the toes. As always, the stylish 17-year-old was within reach of her cell phone. That was about to become a crucial clue for investigators. Geeti's lifeless body was floating over the driver's seat, one arm wrapped around the headrest, the window beside her wide open. Like Seher, the big sister she idolised, Geeti had a navel ring underneath her brown shirt. Rona Amir Mohammed was slouched in the middle back seat, her soaked black hair rubbing against Seher's. At 52, she was the eldest of the dead, the girl's auntie, so to say. The day she drowned, Rona put on a blue shirt, three pairs of earrings and six gold bangles. She was not wearing a seatbelt. None of them were. Escorted into a private room, the trio was given the devastating news. Their relatives were dead, discovered in a bizarre, watery grave. Zainab, Seher, Geeti and Rona were no more. The police felt bad for the bereaving family. Their children were dead. Their siblings were dead. But to the police, Four people were dead without a hint of a lead. They needed answers, so they asked questions. Detective Dempster individually interviewed the family, Shafia, Tuba and Hamid, trying to get a better sense of what happened that day. Why did the girls take the Nissan at night and just drive off? First up, Mohammed Shafia, the victim's father. Dempster asked him the most obvious question. Ashwara, this transcript, could you read it for me? And keep in mind, listeners, that Shafia did not speak fluent English. So he was given an interpreter for Dari, which is the Afghanistani language. And it's essentially a dialect of Farsi. What do you think happened, Mohammed? 
I just woke up in the morning and didn't see them. That's it. I don't know anything else. You know the car, your car, the Nissan was found underwater. You said it. Any thoughts, any idea how it got there? No, 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 not at all because this is the first time such an incident has befallen me. As he left the interview room, Shafia checked his watch. Hamid did not need the interpreter. Fluent in English and Dari, he looked like any other 18-year-old Canadian with Air Jordan warm-up pants and a mop of curly black hair. When Dempster asked him if he wanted some tea or coffee, he replied, "Oh no, it's all good." Hamid recalls that the night the family took a break at the motel, he said he plopped on a bed just for a few minutes, just long enough to hear Zainab ask for the keys. Then he and the Lexus left for Montreal to apparently retrieve his laptop. Why Montreal? Hamid's reasons range from quote something personal to quote I forgot my laptop to sometimes quote you don't feel like staying at one place with your parents, you know. Each new response only made Dempster that much more suspicious. Hamid, do you know what happened to your sisters? He asked point blank. No. You don't? No. Still doubtful, Dempster told Hamid about an eyewitness, an 8-year-old boy it turned out who had just spoken to an investigator on scene. According to his story, there were two cars at the water's edge. but only one the bigger one drove away although keep in mind that this is day 1 of the investigation and everything is preliminary and it can get really murky within the first 24 hours you mean someone pushed them in hamid asked up until that point you see dempster had never suggested such a scenario hamid i think you know more than you've told me here today he continued i have no idea hamid answered you mean someone must have a Uh, together must have come together with them i am not saying that person caused it to happen demster said i'm not saying they did it on purpose but there is somebody out there that knows what really happened and we need that person to speak up hamid said he was shocked by the suggestion if i would have witnessed something i would be the first person to tell my mom and dad he insisted how would i feel inside Dempster made it clear that he wasn't accusing anyone of anything. But just to be sure, he said that the Montreal police will go and swing by their house and take a peek at the Lexus. When Tuba took her turn in the interview room, Dempster got right to the point. As a parent, one parent to another, if something happened to my child, I would want to know the truth, he said. Tuba nodded in agreement. I would have told you everything but I haven't seen anything she said if I knew I would have told you and you could have helped me Dempster leaned in closer quote people have not been truthful with us today at 8:40 p.m. the sun setting over the crime scene Hamid was back in the interview room arms folded you remember Dempster said he will go and take a look at what happened to the Lexus car or at the very least contact the Montreal police to inquire about what is the whereabouts of that Lexus car that he left back home. Well, as promised, an investigator had contacted the Montreal police and Dempster now knew about the single car smash up that morning. The yellow pole fender bender, remember? 
Why are you hiding that information from me, Hamid? Hamid's answer was immediate. If I would tell you, you would go tell my dad. Hamid said he was going on his way to grab some breakfast when he accidentally smacked the pole and just didn't want his father to find out until after everyone got home. I don't know where you're going with this, honestly, he said. I didn't chase her, man. What? That's such a weird statement. I didn't chase her, man. Chase whom? Why was anyone chasing anyone? That's weird. There's a Hindi saying, right? Chor ki daadi mein tin kaur. In the thief's beard, there's a mole. When you start projecting. Well, perhaps this was one of those scenarios. Did your dad, Dempster asked. No. Why were the girls cruising around the outskirts of Kingston at 2 o'clock in the morning? Were they hungry? Scared? Sneaking back home? I don't know, you know, Hamid said. I want to find this out as much as you. Out of questions, Dempster left Hamid alone in the interview room. For seven minutes, the camera still rolling, the 18-year-old got a preview of life inside a small space. He flexed his biceps, flipped through his wallet and picked his nose. The cops started off with sympathy for the family of the dead, allowing to bereave a truly tragic loss. But within less than 24 hours since the accident happened, sympathy turned to suspicion. They still don't have anything remotely concrete and the family's alibi also checked out. But it all just seemed too odd. Too good to be true. And in the course of the investigation that followed, a key revelation was made. A discovery that revealed the Shafia family history, the family dynamics, and a discovery that revealed the truth. 52-year-old Rana Amir Muhammad, the fourth person found dead in the black Nissan, wasn't a nanny. She was Shafia's wife. In fact, his first wife. To find out what happened in that black Nissan on that day, to find out the truth behind their deaths, tune in next week on the second part of the Shafia family murders.